This is the Storm Report. It is another edition here of the Storm Report podcast, live from his Wichita abode. It is uh, Storm Chaser and Weather Extraordinaire, Weather Sometimes Weather Geek, I think, Tommy Caster from Kansas City. It's Dan Holliday, and we're uh, we're happy to be with you in the midst of uh, somewhat of a quiet pattern here in the Plains. Meanwhile, uh, Hurricane Sally inundated the Gulf Coast this week, and uh, Tommy, I was just talking with um, one of our colleagues, a radio station we work with in Pensacola. They have three to four feet of water um, as of Wednesday morning that had rolled through downtown. The station was knocked off the air, but good news, they are back on the air. Yeah, that's great. I've got several friends that live down um, in the southern part of Alabama uh, near the Gulf Shores area and uh, just kind of seeing their updates on social media. I've got a friend that I went to college with that uh, her and her family live in northwest Florida. And so seeing uh, the reports that are coming in from from there as well. Uh, you know, this I don't want to say that this particular storm snuck up on us on a national level, um, you know, but I think that's something we maybe we can talk about a little bit later on in the program about how I don't really feel like there was as much um, I don't want to say uh, coverage of this storm, but I didn't really feel like I knew as much about this uh, this particular storm as I did the ones a few weeks ago. I, I don't know if you feel the same way. This storm uh, took a couple of turns, and and I mean that uh, you know literally and figuratively because uh, you know Sally was initially going to be like a, a category one when it made landfall. It was going to do it Tuesday morning. The storm slowed down significantly became a Category 2 as it made landfall near Gulf Shores on Wednesday morning. And then uh, just, it was moving at like two miles per hour. You can walk faster on the treadmill than this storm was moving. And it was just hovering over the coastal area. And I know that, uh, you know, folks along the Gulf Coast got a lot of rain. Meanwhile, I was just talking with some colleagues in uh, Northern California. They can't buy rain there. So it's like one extreme to the other from you know, the coastal areas all the way to the western part of the country. Yeah, I'm looking forward to diving into this new episode of the podcast so we can talk more in depth about the tropical weather down in the Gulf. And then, you know, of course, the other major weather story has been the wildfires uh, in the western part of the U.S. So looking forward to diving into both of those topics a little bit more deeper. Well, our guest is uh, someone who, you know, reached out to me initially because we had made contact about um, you know, what his next possible opportunity was going to be in his career. Um, he had he had finished school and, and was ready to embark uh, in the meteorology world. And lo and behold, uh, through it all, we became friends and, and stay in touch today. But now he has wound up working at the National Weather Service in North Platte, Nebraska. Welcome aboard, Nathan Jurgensen. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Well, good to have you, too. And I didn't know, you know, if we were going to be able to book him because, see, Nathan is in mourning or was in mourning until the Wednesday morning announcement that Big Ten football was going to return. He's a huge Huskers fan. You're excited about that, I assume. Absolutely. Um, You know, normally I'm pretty stoked for football season, so it was really different watching this past weekend see uh, various schools that we used to compete against, like Kansas State and Kansas and uh, with some regularity, and they, uh, you know, they were playing football and just not knowing if we were going to have football. So it was, it was a little odd, but I guess uh, this is an attempt to get back to some normalcy, and I'm looking forward to at least getting back supporting my team. Hey, Nathan, I will say that uh, I'm not sure if what Kansas and Kansas State did over the weekend is actually considered playing football or not. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave, I'll leave that up to uh, individual judgment there. <laughs> yeah, I think they've had better weekends before. 
we were texting each other at the time, and I said, I'm watching this Kansas State game. And he said, yeah, so am I. But, you know, we didn't say anything more because at that point we didn't know that uh, his beloved Nebraska Huskers were going to wind up uh, playing, and it looks like they are. But uh, how would you like to be in the office trying to handle season tickets for all those people, not knowing Uh. exactly how to sort that all out? Yeah, I don't even know how, you know, any of these institutions are, I mean, trying to juggle the season tickets, but then even more than that, I mean, I know this is kind of off topic, but even more than that, any kind of donations, I mean, you know, who, who's, who's willing to open up the pocketbook and write a big check right now, especially if there's no guarantee that you can even get into the stadium. It's a weird time, especially for college athletics. When you work hard forecasting weather, it's one of those things where you want something to uh, be an escape. And uh, I know for Nathan, it's it's Husker sports, uh, whether it be football or basketball, even all facets of sports I've heard him talking about. And that's that's a nice thing to be able to look forward to. But um, you come from Burwell, Nebraska, and then you obviously went to school. And a lot of people wonder from time to time when they see somebody or hear about somebody that works at the National Weather Service, I know I have always felt, oh, my gosh, they're that person at this level of, uh, of intellect when it comes to weather. They've gone through the most rigorous in terms of education. What did you have to go through um, to be able to, I mean, when, when it comes to education, uh, what kind of time did you put in and what was the studying like and where did you go? Uh, so I uh, am, uh, got my uh, degree in meteorology, just a bachelor's degree from the University of Nebraska, but I was not always a meteorology student. So when I started school, I the University of Nebraska in Omaha, and I was actually an engineering student. Um, you know, I, I, I was always interested in, in, you know, kind of the infrastructure stuff and building roads and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you could ask my folks, and I've always been kind of a map geek, and I suppose that can kind of continue into meteorology too. But um, basically, after so many doing uh, uh, engineering at UNO, um, I kind of realized it just wasn't for me. So I, you know, started doing my research about transferring to UNL, uh, which is the University of Nebraska flagship campus, the Huskers, and because they were the only school in the state that had a MET program. Well, engineering and meteorology are not too far apart in terms of uh, the requirements for classes. And it's the same amount of math. It's the same amount of physics. It's the same amount of chemistry. Basically, all I had to do was go from a school of engineering to a school of arts and sciences, which changes some of the uh, electives that you have to take. And for the most part, it was... uh, just kind of an easy transition. I just had to replace all my engineering courses with just uh, meteorology courses. So, like I said, I graduated from University of Nebraska at Lincoln in May of 2014. I was a, as I like to joke, I was a perennial undergrad. I went, you know, I should have my master's. I was an undergrad for six years, but a little late to the game to join the meteorology party. But um, it was very, very uh, intense. Uh, I will admit um, that, uh, you know, it, I struggled, I, I struggled a good amount. Um, it, it was no cakewalk. And, uh, for the people that go on in meteorology and, and for all other fields that are do, you know, the long distance, uh, runs for doing advanced degrees in various fields, my hat's off to them. Once I was done with my bachelor's degree, I, I was ready to be done with school. 
it, it was very exhaustive and it, it took a lot out of me. There were a lot of bumps in the road. There were a lot of highs and lows. Um, but, you know, I look back and uh, thankful for uh, all the connections I made that helped me get through and all the work that I put forth and, and uh, getting me to where I am today. I, I couldn't have scripted it any better because things have worked out pretty well. I suppose without losing any credibility, it might be a good question to ask uh, whether there was some drinking that went on between those classes just to get you from one <laughs> test to the other. Because I know when I went to school, uh, yeah, you had to have a cocktail from time to time. Uh, yes, there was always a uh, toast to the end of finals week. Uh, that goes without saying. <laughs> hey, Nathan, I'd love to know, uh, you know, obviously in your current role at the National Weather Service in North Platte, um, you know, what, what that day to day is like for you. I mean, obviously, um, you know, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, kind of in the heart of, uh, especially in the spring, you know, active, uh, you know, severe weather, maybe not so much this year as much, but, uh, you know, it, it, traditionally it is. Uh, so what's your day to day look like in that national weather service office? Uh, so Yes, it largely depends on like what kind of uh, what shift I'm working in. And as we probably already know, the weather's a 24/7 business. And so uh, the offices are always manned 24/7, uh, you know, 365 days a year. Um, and so obviously we work rotating shifts. Now, in the instances when uh, you know it's like severe weather or whatnot, it it get pretty hectic. You know, um, we would you know, require extra extra bodies on uh, ops floor, so to speak, uh, just to be able to handle all the severe weather instances. Now, we have had more busy seasons than we have seen in 2020, um, but it, it can get kind of strenuous at times, um, especially if you're you know, in the hot chair, so to speak, if you're the one that's issuing the warnings that are aiming at uh, saving, you know, in life, uh, you know, with severe weather, whether it be a significant hailstorm, which we've seen a couple of those this year, or, you know, even a tornado warning, which, you know, the last few years we've seen below normal tornado counts, which, you know, is in all, uh, all things considered a good thing. Um, but at some point that stretch may end. And so be vigilant and just keep an eye on things. And you don't want to, you know, tornado warn everything that you see you don't want to be the office that cried wolf so you kind of put you know a little bit of thought behind the warnings you're trying to decide okay does this look like it's worthy of a warning uh got to know the background environment is this going to be you know that i need to consider going forward or what so uh you know severe standpoint it's very busy um winter standpoint too we get these significant winter storms across uh, much of western Nebraska and and perhaps if, if you don't know you know western Nebraska is largely rural you know when I was growing up in rural Nebraska I had classmates that lived outside of town and they had to commute every morning to come to school so not only do we have to consider what are the impacts to these towns you know whether it's going to be you know like power outages or anything like that but we also have to consider the travelers and and it's not just limited to the people who are you know to the jobs, it's it's also including, you know, people who are commuting to school. And so those things where you try to get ahead of the ball just a little bit, um, you know, and, and take everything into consideration like that and just try to get as much advanced heads up and warning 
as you can. And, and those make for busy seasons as well. So it's not just, you know, the, the warm storm season that's uh, busy for, you know, the plains areas. It's also for all these winter storms and you have to talk, uh, you know, partners and if want to, uh, you know, help them make the decision and uh, give them the information that would be uh, relevant to uh, their decision-making process. So, it, you know, it's, it's very uh, difficult at times, but it's very rewarding to know that if you've made an impact or a positive impact in any way, shape, or form. So it's one of those, I'm just fortunate uh, that I'm uh, happy and, and enjoy what I'm doing. And, and it's one of those things, too, where you'll never stop learning. You know, always rehash an event and see what you could have done better or how what didn't and learn from there. Well, and that's just it. You can't go to college and get a degree in meteorology and expect to walk right in the front door at the National Weather Service and be hired. What did you have to do to build up to get that gig? I mean, that's not an easy one to get. Yeah. So the number of uh, applicants that are being hired with strictly bachelors is not a very large number. Um, in fact, uh, it's becoming all but rare to see that even occur. Most of the hires that are occurring are people with master's degrees and even, even PhDs. Um, so I graduated, as I said, with my bachelor's degree. And upon looking for you know anything to get my foot in the door in any kind of job in the field, um, you know, I took a, a job with a private consulting firm, and we provided forecast information for clientele who uh, needed weather-based decisions, whether it be municipalities or construction companies or roofing companies. Basically, any kind of uh, enterprise out there that would be negatively impacted by weather, uh, whether it just be rain or, or temperatures or, or snow. And so I uh, joined a private consulting firm and I worked there for about two years. Uh, and it's amazing. Uh, as you said, you know, you wouldn't be able to graduate into the door and be able to immediately contribute uh, with as much as uh, the, you know, more experienced people. And the reason I say that is because the textbooks doesn't teach you about, you know, real life situations. Um, I can safely say that I've learned more on the job, whether it be my previous job or with the weather service, I have learned probably in schooling, um, just through experience and listening to uh, people who are more experienced than myself talk. And it, it's really amazing. And so my uh, two years as a consulting meteorologist is I consider invaluable uh, for where I am today and uh, the work that I put forward now. Uh, actually, uh, you know, kind of go back and, and rethink some of those situations. And I put, uh, you know, I put what I learned from those situations to work at my current job today. So it, it really, it really is hard to get just a bachelor's degree. But what helped me was I had uh, decision yeah, experience, excuse me, in uh, what's for it, which is basically disseminating weather information in a way that uh, the return users can uh, understand it and make appropriate decisions. Hey, Nathan. So one of the things about uh, about this podcast is that I'm kind of the village idiot on this podcast a little bit. I'm yeah. I'm I'm the I'm the least educated out of 
all three of us who are currently on right now. So you and Dan are are the meteorologists, and I'm just the I'm just the you know guy on the street that doesn't know you know a cold front from a warm front. Uh, so I guess I'd love to know you know from you you know as just a civilian as somebody that. Uh, you know, doesn't have a lot of knowledge about the National Weather Service. Um, you know, I guess I'm speaking for all of us who don't know much about what you all do uh, in your day-to-day world. What sort of responsibility do you feel on your shoulders whenever there is threatening weather? That could be, you know, a, a tornado warning. That could be, as you mentioned, hazardous winter weather. Uh, that could be a lot of different kinds and types of weather. What sort of responsibility do you feel on your shoulders? And also, I would imagine it's kind of a selfless role, right? I mean, most people, they know what the National Weather Service is. They know they're getting these warnings and alerts, but they don't, they don't know the person behind it. So what, what is that like for you on a daily basis? Uh, so it's, it's really important to know that you, you are potentially making a difference, um, you know, the, the NWS motto, the mission statement is uh, provide weather, water, and climate data, forecasts, and warning for the protection of life and property and enhancement of the national economy. And in these types of situations, you know, where it be severe weather with thunderstorms and, and all that, you know, or winter weather, you know, we are making a difference. Um, and we are, you know, it's very selfless indeed. You know, we we are out there for the betterment and for the of you know everybody that uses our products and listens to our forecasts and all that and and so it's really rewarding to know um you know that we can potentially make a difference um you know we don't necessarily get people that reach out to say because of you 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 helped us very often uh, but there are instances where that has happened. Um, I know sp- uh, specifically from other uh, folks within the uh, the enterprise, uh, the agency that uh, that has happened to them. And, and I know it's one of those things where um, you know you you feel good about what you did. Uh, and there's a lot of people out there who I think are very similarly minded, where you could have provided all the warning that you could have, you could have done every little bit piece of information out there that helped some person out there make a decision that put them in a better situation or whatnot. And those folks that, you know, put that information out there, sometimes that's still not good enough. You still feel like you could have done a better job. And so it's one of those things where we take pride in what we do. Um, You know, obviously do the best that we can and in instances where we feel like, uh, you know, we could have done better, we're going to put forth the effort to, uh, you know, not allow an incident like that happen again, where, you know, we feel like we uh, had some shortcomings. So um, it, it's really, it's really amazing. Uh, I'm, I would say I'm kind of one of the lucky ones, too, because I'm able to do this and I issue that are pushed out uh, information for my hometown. Um, not everyone can do that. A lot of people with the NWS will start at an office that's clear across the country from where they're from or whatnot. Uh, and I'm one of the lucky ones that basically um, I have family that can uh, text me and say, 
the one that was issuing the warnings this night or you know did you do the forecast this week and i'm able to say a lot of times yes i was so i have a lot of pride in knowing that not only do uh, am i potentially making a difference but i'm also reaching out to people that i know and care about um, very deeply so it, it's one of those things that I, I i take a lot of pride in what i do and i know i speak for a lot of people when uh, i say that because i know they do as well there used to be there used to be pretty much just a few platforms when it came to weather. There was the National Weather Service who would disseminate the information to television and to radio, and it would get out there. And now it comes from the National Weather Service, and it can be copied and pasted on all these social media platforms. How, in your perception, has social media changed the way the weather gets to public? the public? Because... It's not the same. I mean, if you've got Jim Bob's weather company and that weather company says, we think there's going to be 35 tornadoes today in Nebraska, and they put it out there with 30,000 followers, it's a little frightening, isn't it? It really is. And while we don't see that so much in um, severe weather instances, uh, we do have to combat that uh, locally here when it comes to winter. Um, we all get a lot of uh, posts from, uh, for lack of a better word, uncredited sites that basically find the biggest, scariest uh, snow model they can find and post that and call it a forecast. And unfortunately, my, you know, my family is no exception. I, I see my family sharing or reacting to some of that stuff, too. So, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of good about social media. I think it's basically paramount in how we disseminate our information anymore um, because everyone's got a social media account. It's, it's almost find people who don't have social media than it is to find people, obviously, who decide to use other methods of picking up the weather information. Um, so we actually have shift duties, um, again, depending on what shift you work at the office, but we do have shift duties that revolve around social media. And uh, basically, we make uh, graphics and to put out the information uh, to our, uh, our constituents. And uh, that's basically, I would say, uh, and, I, and I'm just grasping at straws here, so I don't have the actual facts or numbers behind it, but I would say that's how I would say 75% of our forecast information is disseminated. Um, it would be over social media more than anything else. Um, and again, we, we have instances where we, you know, have those accounts out there that are looking more for attention than anything. And so they share bad information. And, and you know, we don't, we, that's out of our control. We, we can't really do anything about that. But I know the message that we try to put out is just, whether it be from us or a TV meteorologist or a radio meteorologist or, you know, anyone, just, just have a reliable source of weather information not just trust any uh, Facebook page that you might come across or whatnot that's hyping up uh, something that may not be a big deal. So, um, yeah, it's kind of one of those things. It's a never-ending battle, but uh, without social media, I feel like uh, our jobs would actually be a little bit more difficult than they are. Okay, so I was thinking that maybe we could, you know, switch gears a little bit here on this podcast and talk a little bit about the uh, the big weather topics that are dominating the headlines over the last several days or so. Now, obviously, by the time that this podcast will actually drop, um, you know, will be a, a couple of days from when 
uh, Hurricane Sally made landfall down in Alabama and Florida. But we, we touched on it, Dan, at the very beginning of the program about just the snail's pace that this hurricane is is taking right now. Uh, and obviously a lot of heavy rainfall and very strong winds. Um, you know, it, it's definitely been an active summer and early fall in the tropics for sure. Well, it has. And, and uh, you know, we see a number of storms that are that are uh, out at sea right now. Just uh, taking a look uh, midweek at the National Hurricane Center website, um, you've got some in the Atlantic. You've got one that was weakening in the Eastern Pacific. And Nathan, you know, while, you know, you don't have to focus a whole lot or any really at all on the tropics, uh, I guess you would if the moisture made it your way when you're talking North Platte. But, um, you know, the sea surface temperatures warm pretty early this year and uh, you know, it just turned out to be one of those seasons that looks like that the tropics were hotter than average. Yeah, to me, what's what's amazing about all of this is the fact that uh, we're about to go to the Greek alphabet, and we're potentially you know, we're right about the peak of hurricane season, and all we need is I can't remember, but it's less than I think eight more storms before we set the record for most named storms in a single season. So it's just it's just amazing uh, to think about the year that the Gulf Coast has been having right now. Yeah, so I saw that uh, Wilfred will be the uh, the final name in the actual alphabet for hurricanes, and then from there, Tropical Storm Alpha, Hurricane Be- Beta, you know, so on and so forth with the uh, the Greek alphabet. The only time that's ever happened. Uh, was 2005, and that was the last season that there were six Greek names uh, showing how active this season has been. See, you sell yourself short. You say that you don't know that much about weather, but you know <laughs> you you know more than I think uh, a lot of us do uh, that that stick our head in the books and read all the time because you love it so much, and that's what matters. But yeah, I I mean, there it seems like even I was on the air in Louisiana when uh, when Sally was looking like it was going to be impacting the area, and uh, when we when we were doing uh, some live weather hits with the stations down there, they were like, you know, this is more active than normal. Can we expect more to hit Louisiana this season? I mean, I mean, really, you don't know because uh, dep- uh, you know you you get like a disturbance or something like that that pops up, and then before you know it, this time of year, um, and Nathan could attest to that too. In September and October. Really, all bets are off. I mean, anything can happen anywhere because this is prime time. My understanding of tropical weather it does not exactly, uh, you know, not enough to fill a book or whatnot. <laughs> but, but I mean, knowing that we still have a good month of uh, prime conditions for, you know, hurricane season, it's a little unsettling, I suppose you could say. So, Dan, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, if we get into the Greek alphabet for naming tropical storms, how many of those Greek alphabet names can you remember? Can you can you list them in order? Do you know? No. <laughs> no, I would have to look at the computer. <laughs> yeah, the, the only reason I know is because I have it pulled up in front of me. How about you, Nathan? Do you know any of them? I uh, no, I would not. I would have to do the same. Thing. So I'm not. I'm not going to go over all 24 because we're not going to get that far into the naming rights or the naming the naming systems. But there's obviously alpha, beta. Then it goes gamma, delta, epsilon, zeta, eta, theta, iota, kappa, and then so on and so forth. So uh, hopefully we don't have that active. You know, hopefully it doesn't continue that way where we have to get super deep into the Greek alphabet because I think 99% of the population is probably like all of us where we'd actually have to look it up. We wouldn't know off the top of our heads. 
It truly sounds like a giant fraternity and sorority party. That's what it sounds like. I was like. thinking the same thing. <laughs> Without a doubt. Yep. Flashback to college years. And finally, we were going to touch on the wildfires. Um, fire season, another one that got an early start in the western part of the country. I had seen some social media posts from a colleague who had a family member that was fighting fires out in the western part of the country. And when you see someone take a video phone shot of what's going on around them, you realize how quickly their life could be in danger with the changing of the winds, if the fires get uh, out of control. Um, I mean, this is this is really something this year. And I know we do forecast for Northern California when we were on there doing that. It's like smoke and haze is in the forecast every single day and has been for the last few weeks, guys. Yeah, we've been dealing with it quite a bit here in western Nebraska. Um, you know, timing it with a frontal boundary that was coming through mixed of the smoke and haze potentially to the surface. So something that North Platte doesn't do very often, that but did today, was we actually put out some, you know, information basically saying people with respiratory issues may need to seek additional, you know, caution, uh, you know, with respect to uh, the air quality today. So that's not something we do very often, that's for sure. Yeah, I, uh, I read some of the updates that, um, you know, this is as of Wednesday, uh, that more than 5 million acres uh, have burned across Oregon, California, and Washington State. Of course, tens of thousands of people displaced and at least 27 people dead uh, in that area, which, you know, is is terrible, you know, when you look at that. And, you know, while it's terrible and, and there's no doubt about that, Dan, to kind of echo what you were saying, some of the images that are coming out of that part of the country, like, you know, I, I saw photos of, you know, San Francisco and the Golden Gate Bridge and, you know, just the the orange, you know, haze that is just kind of hanging over uh, the city is just, you know, some incredible images to look at. And, um, you know, I even read that, you know, some of the smoke and you guys are obviously the meteorologists, so you'll know more about how this works than I do. But uh, that there are people now in Europe that are seeing smoke from the fires on the West Coast that the wind or the fronts or whatever have moved, you know, the, the smoke and the haze uh, into Europe, which is just insane for me to think about. Just had a conversation with somebody in uh, Oregon and in, in California. They said that some people there, if they weren't already wearing masks due to the pandemic, would be wearing masks for the smoke. I mean, so it's like it's sort of a twofold there. You're getting a chance to, you know, keep yourself from being, you know, inhaling all the particles. So uh, the mask has been beneficial there, I think, for for some folks in the West. And I'd love to know, and maybe both of you guys can tag team this answer, but, you know, somebody that doesn't know how this sort of thing works, um, I'm assuming, I mean, what what does it take to stop this? I mean, is it obviously fighting the fires, you know, is, you know, you have to continue to do that, but is it as simple as that area just needs a lot of rainfall or what does it take to stop wildfires at that magnitude? You know, this might be a little bit out my, outside my wheelhouse, but I don't think it's as simple as just getting a lot of rainfall in one spot, honestly. I think, I think it's going to take a lot of rainfall over a long period of time uh, before we can see some of these areas that are experiencing such significant drought and thus primo conditions for these fires uh, to really see any kind of improvement in conditions not being as favorable for the rapid spread and erotic behavior of these fires. 
scary thing about this is the fire season started early and it really kind of gets going about now and thereafter. And it, we're still a ways out from the rainy season along the West coast. And so, I mean, it's going to be a while before systems come in. I know there's a low pressure system coming in this weekend in the Pacific Northwest. It's going to increase the onshore flow in California and, and push some of the smoke out, but not all of it. And it's just not going to bring any rain. That's the, that's the bad part. And then when you do get a lot of rain, you got the debris flow to worry about mud and, and everything like that, that, that they have to deal with where, you know, they just haven't seen rain so often. Uh, one, one thing that, comes to mind i might ask you as we wrap up nathan um what what did you what would you say is the most exciting part of your job because i mean for any of us who drive by or look at the front of the national weather service we see the big radar dome we see you launching balloons because you are a balloon weather balloon site in north Platte. um you know we look in and think man uh, what what is it that gets them most excited about what they do so i've i've been a weather nerd for lack of a better term (laughs) since I was knee high to a toad, as the saying goes. And to me, it's the fact that it's never the same. It's always something different. There's always something that's slightly different that would make the weather more, uh, you know, impactful versus less impact, whether it be, you know, you got slightly more sheer across the Gulf Coast right now, thus uh, hurricanes are are having a hard time or in this case this year it seems like this year has been a lot weaker thus you are seeing you know some of these storms strengthening whether that's what's happening i guess i'm not sure but my point being is you know it's always something different and you know that people always think you know they always joke you know you can be wrong 90 percent of the time and keep your job well you know we're just working with what the information that we have and then so it's it's kind of and I'm, I'm pretty competitive, Dan, you know this, I'm pretty competitive. So it's one of those things where I try to be, get it as good as I can. And even if it's my day off, if I'm forecasting for a day and it's my day off, I will spend that day looking at it to see how I did. Because I, to me, it's just that interesting. And, and you try to log into your mind, okay, well, maybe I should have considered this or well, this didn't pan out very well, or the models weren't doing very well, didn't handle it very well. So it's one of those things where you can always look back, you can always learn something. Um, To me, it's just interesting. And I find it really fascinating that I can sit there and utilize some of the most, uh, you know, technically advanced software and uh, hardware at my disposal, essentially, to try to put a forecast together um, and then the means of collecting the information, whether it be, as you alluded to, uh, the weather balloons that we launch or utilizing the radar, which is constantly being upgraded account for newer technology and research and all that. And, and to me, it's just it's just really amazing all the work that you can put into it and uh, all the different little avenues that you can go down, whether it be research or forecasting or public outreach or, or that so there's a little something for everybody uh, you don't have to be a forecaster to be a meteorologist and, and if you are a meteorologist doesn't mean you have to be a forecaster so it's it's always something for somebody and for me i found my niche and, and i just love everything that i do you know tommy i think one thing that we have in common is uh there are times when 
we wait and watch for watches and warnings to come out from the National Weather Service, and it's easy to become an armchair a weather observer. But, you know, getting to really know Nathan and hear from the perspective of I'm in the hot seat and I'm having to decide whether to issue a severe thunderstorm or a tornado warning, or this storm may produce winds all of a sudden in a split second, I got to make a decision. I didn't realize, I mean, I knew it was hard. I did not know how really hard it can be sometime because everybody is watching what you do and you do your best to get it right. And all those guys that work at the weather service are the same way. They want to get it right, no doubt about it, but it is not an easy job. Yeah, you and I have had the luxury, you know, forever to just basically report on the decision that's already been made by the National Weather Service. You know, we're not the ones who actually have had to make the decision. Uh, And so just, you know, I I have tremendous respect for you, Nathan, uh, and for anybody at the National Weather Service who uh, sits in that hot seat and has to be the one uh, to make that decision. And and in some cases, uh, in a lot of cases, those decisions you know, can be life or death. And so uh, hats off to you, Nathan. It's a, it's an incredibly selfless job and uh, we really appreciate you doing it. Well, thank you guys. And, and, and like I said, you know, um, you know, at least Western Nebraska is largely, um, so it's not as I don't know, dire of consequences if something goes wrong, but my hats off, uh, go off to uh, the people that have to deal with the major metropolitan areas and severe weather as well. I mean, it's events like, um, you know, Joplin in 2011, um, you know, even just recently as uh, the storm on the south side of Kansas, uh, Lawrence, Kansas, um, you know, it, it's the events like that that really drive me to just be as good as I can when it comes to this. And so my hats go off to the people uh, who have to deal with the bigger events more, more so than what we deal with here. You know, and even if there aren't a whole lot of people in western Nebraska, there are a lot of cows that appreciate what you do. <laughs> that is that is very true. And in fact, uh, we when we train our spotters, we tend to throw that joke in there. And I think the laugh count's kind of decreased over the last couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, good luck to the Huskers this year, both in uh, football and basketball. Is the third year a charm? I mean, uh, we obviously you're looking for about, I mean, I guess you don't know what the season's going to be, right? It's it's tough to say. I always was kind of joking that we're making a really big push to have kind of a mediocre year. So I hope I'm. <laughs> I hope everything works out for you guys. And and um, yeah, definitely. Thanks for being a guest on the Storm Report podcast. And uh, Tommy, we're back next week to yet again talk with another fine guest. We'll leave as a surprise, and uh, we're going to be uh, you know obviously discussing discussing what's latest in weather. Um, certainly been quiet and continuous quiet right now, but that may all change here on what lies ahead over the next five to seven days. Yeah, without a doubt. Looking forward to the next episode. I know that on our, our debut episode with our, our new retooled format, uh, we had our storm reporter of the week on uh, the first episode. So maybe we'll have another one that we can highlight uh, for next week and, and uh, a whole lot, whole lot more shenanigans, I suppose. That's right. You can subscribe anywhere that you find um, that you find us on all pretty much all platforms. That's that's how to do it. And of course, iTunes, obviously, many of the others. And we are back with uh, episode 22, I believe, next week on the Storm Report podcast.